Hello, and you're very welcome to Mind You, where I dive into how different people use different ways to self-care. I'm Brian Barnes from Brian Barnes Wellbeing, where I partner with people to create unique wellbeing solutions. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Dan Neifer. Dan has a huge passion for serving and minding others through his work as the creator of the ANS Rewired Recovery Program, as the author of CFS Unraveled, and as the host of the podcast Wisdom from the Other Side. So Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, uh, Brian. It's my honor. Thanks, Dan. You're so welcome. And Dan, can you start off by telling me a, a bit about yourself and how you got to here? Well, well, it's uh, been a long journey. Um, yeah, my journey started uh, almost a couple of decades ago now. Um, I was in my late 20s. Uh, I was healthy and I uh, had a bit of a bumpy time. Um, uh, the birth of my son, uh, my, I nearly lost my wife at the time. Uh, it was pretty traumatic. Uh, she nearly passed away three times. She had three life-saving operations. And, um, you know, we had to say goodbye at one stage. And uh, in the, uh, I remember being in the uh, hospital trying to... Uh, teach the nurses how to do the mathematics correctly to administer life-saving magnesium to try and keep her blood pressure from causing her to have a stroke uh, at one moment and the next moment, you know, calling for help because she had no blood pressure because she was bleeding to death. Uh, it was uh, a surreal experience to say the least. And uh, it was the first time in my life that I had gone three days without sleep <laughs> at her bedside. And, you know, all that ends well is well, they say. Uh, she uh, pulled through and we got on with our lives. Uh, I was busy working. Uh, my background had been in uh, as a physicist, but I transitioned into the uh, financial services industry as a number cruncher. And I um, was really getting on with life, uh, uh, making, looking after myself. I was training hard at the time. Um, and uh, working on another project outside of work as well. Uh, so it was busy, busy, but uh, life was good. Um, I actually uh, had someone in the office, uh, their partner got sick with chickenpox. And I thought, I don't know if I've been vaccinated or if I had chickenpox. And I thought, I don't want to drag anything home to my kids. Uh, I went to get a vaccination for that. And, um, and three days later, I was unable to walk with my colleagues at work. That's how my journey started. Now, I'm not saying it was the vaccination that caused my illness, but uh, that's kind of was the timeline. And interestingly enough, I didn't actually connect with that until uh, many years later that <laughs> those two events may have had some kind of relationship. And that started a period of chronic illness. Uh, the doctor thought I had mono, or well, he, he saw in my blood test that there was a history of mono, but not a current infection. He said my throat was red. I didn't know what was going on, but 
it felt like there was some kind of virus in me. I wasn't well. And, um, you know, days turned to weeks, weeks turned to months, months turned to years. Um, the frustration kept laying. It's probably the same story that many of your listeners have heard with chronic illness. Uh, they didn't know what's wrong. They gave me all kinds of theories. I guess I accepted somewhere along the line in the early months that this was some kind of virus that we didn't know what it was. And that probably stuck with me a long time. And then over the years, uh, you know, I resisted this diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome because it sounded to me like something that was, I don't know, not real fatigue. I had many more problems than fatigue. Of course, I was quite ignorant. Um, and because the older doctors sort of shrugged their shoulders when, when I got given that diagnosis, I, I kind of, I didn't give it much credence. Um, and it was probably only later when I started to get uh, the fibromyalgia, like, you know, the pain, uh, the additional symptom of, of the pain and then the pot symptoms that I finally actually looked at the chronic fatigue syndrome uh, story and what it meant. And I felt like I could no longer deny it. And um, yeah, my, my, that, that's sort of how I became unwell. Um, I guess, uh, how did I go from there? Um, well, it was lots of ups and downs. I went to countless doctors, countless alternative healthcare practitioners. I tried everything under the sun. Nothing really worked. Uh, and unfortunately, in my fifth year, I got even more severely ill. I, uh, I ended up bed bound, struggling to communicate. Uh, and uh, that was uh, a Christmas with uh, a couple of little kids at the time. And uh, that's when I sort of thought this is not feasible to live with this condition any longer. And uh, it prompted me to try and find my own answers. Um, I didn't find the uh, medical approach or the alternative healthcare approach to be scientific or logical because it was always focused on treating my symptoms at very best treating dysfunctions in the body. And my question always was, why on earth is all this happening? Perhaps you've had a similar experience, Brian, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, um, and that led to a, um, once I was well enough to finally crawl out of that bedroom, uh, that led to, uh, I suppose, a research project trying to find the root cause behind all this illness. And I developed, uh, I went down a lot of dead end sort of roads. Uh, at one stage, I thought it was an acetaldehyde dehydrogenized deficiency because I, I always had this strange alcohol intolerance where I drink a little bit of alcohol and and it was like I was dying off a flu for the next week. And I thought, you know, well, why would this happen? And, um, but uh, eventually uh, what I came to was a hypothesis that the illness is uh, basically a form of dysautonomia. And uh, 
a confusing form of dysautonomia because it's so variable, not just between individuals, but in an individual over time. And also because it's variable in the very immediate time frame, as in, you know, this afternoon compared to this morning is different compared to last week. And this, of course, is very, very confusing and makes it impossible for the medical world to wrap their head around and, and identify the illness because you can't just measure one single thing that's broken, if you like, um, like you can in other diseases. So I felt quite confident that this was uh, what was driving this illness. In fact, I felt certain about it. Um, <laughs> what I didn't feel certain about was that there would be any hope of me recovering. I mean, I felt theoretically it seemed like it would be possible, but um, I don't know, you know, I kind of closed off the idea that I could ever get my life back. Um, but to cut a long story short, 18 months later, I had returned to wellness. And then I decided to publish uh, my thoughts in a book called CFS Unraveled. Um, that book had a bit of a flurry in the beginning. Um, people either loved it and thought it was amazing or they hated it and thought I was suggesting that the illness was in our heads, which is, of course, the furthest thing from the truth. Well, <laughs> it's kind of true because I guess that's where the brain and the uh, brainstem sits is, is in our head. Yeah. Um, but it certainly is not a psychological illness. Um, and um, because I guess many of us get that roll of the eyes when we go to the doctors uh, or other healthcare practitioners, we probably all become a bit sensitive to these sort of topics. And basically, I did a lot of advocacy work, Brian. I, uh, I ended up uh, creating a, the website, See If It's Unraveled. I gave away 5,000 copies of my book when I published it. Um, I, it was a, you know, really a, a, a passion, I suppose, of mine to, to try and help others. I, I started uh, doing interviews. Um, I never really actually even met anyone who had the illness during the, all the time I was ill, probably because of the uh, many years of denial of the diagnosis, because I thought, oh, it's a virus or something else. And, and then I met a lot of people, with the, not just with the illness, but I started to meet a lot of people who had recovered. I then started to uh, do interviews with people to share their stories. In fact, I'm pretty sure I was the first one on the internet uh, in the world who ever did a recovery interview with someone with CFS Unraveled of fibromyalgia. And, uh, and this became sort of what my YouTube channel was about and um, my website. But people kept asking me for more help. Uh, I was helping privately in my not so spare time, doing a lot of uh, this sort of just coaching people and helping talking to them and this kind of thing. And they always said they needed more help and, and there were more and more people. And I finally uh, decided to start a to create the ANS Rewire program, which is an online education program. Um, it was, I got to a point, Brian, it seemed like it was too hard to do that. It was too much, <laughs> too much, too much work, too big a project, but the pain of 
not doing it become greater than the pain of doing it. Yeah. And so one day I took the plunge and uh, a little over a quarter of a million words later, we had the ANS Rewire program. Okay, wow. And that brings you right up to today, Dan, and what an amazing journey you've been on. And diving deeper into the ANS Rewired Recovery Program. Like I, I've heard you mention that it's kind of, it, it's multi-layered, it's, per, it's multilateral, it's person-centered. So could you explain, first of all, you know, what is ANS Rewired, you know, like what, what, it's, what it's about and some of those layers that are involved in the program? Okay, well, so the first thing is that uh, the program is tailored to a group of conditions, and these conditions include ME, CFS, post-file fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, um, POTS, multiple chemical sensitivities, electromagnetic hypersensitivities. Uh, there's also other conditions uh, that often get you or other diagnoses that are in essence the same illness in my view. Um, because now, Dan, I suppose you, it's at presently it's covering long COVID. Now, when when you on your journey, like you were pre-COVID, so you know, like, do you find that long COVID fits in there too? Well, you know, I'm not sure about this uh, term, long COVID. Uh, I've never really spoken much about it because it is a strange term. To me, um, it's a catch-all. It's a catch-all. Catch well, you don't go into hospital and see the doctors talking about long car accident. Yeah. Like, what does this mean? Um, oh, I've got a long car accident. No, well, no, you have a couple of patients. One who's got a severe spinal injury. The other one's got a concussion, and one's got lacerations on the arm. You don't say, "Oh, you've got a long car accident." So. Uh, you know, it seemed like a strange thing to come about. Um, uh, and I'm not saying that, I, I just don't think that we fully understand what it means when people use that term and what long COVID is, if there is such a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, what I mean, if, of course, we know that people are sick after um, COVID, many people have this, but the long COVID almost implies that they continue to have an infection. Yeah. And I'm not sure if there's any evidence for that or not. I'm not an expert on long COVID, right? Yeah. Um, and now and some people obviously have organ damage. So that's a different condition, a different issue. People who have damaged lungs, uh, damaged kidneys, um, yeah. heart. Okay. I would not make that the same as same condition uh, as if people had an ongoing viral infection of which I don't know if there's any evidence or not. And that again is different to what you might call post-viral fatigue syndrome. Yeah. Now, post-viral fatigue syndrome, uh, which is in essence, in my view, MECFS is, is the one illness, um, is certainly something that it would appear to me um, that people, some people get after having uh, a viral infection, including COVID. Now, is the question really is, is, is long COVID something different or is this, is there something additional going on with COVID? Yeah. And whilst many people decide one way 
or the other, including many medical professionals and researchers that I've spoken to, uh, I'm not in a position to make such a judgment because I don't think that the evidence is adequate in order to make such a scientific <laughs> uh, um, uh, suggestion, uh, a scientific uh, determination, I should say. Um, what I would say is that um, it appears to me from my limited experience, and like I said, I'm not a long COVID expert in any shape or form, and I'm not a medical doctor either, just to make that clear. None of this is obviously medical advice, but it would appear that there are some things that are unique about COVID, including after COVID, um, that are perhaps we, I don't traditionally see when people get ME-CFS after a normal viral infection. There are some differences. That's the first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is that we still see people who recover from what appears to present like post-viral fatigue syndrome, and they still recover after, after having that with, uh, you know, following a COVID infection. And it seems to still come about through similar kind of strategies. But I just don't know that we should make any blanket statements uh, about this. There may very well be some specific things around post-COVID infections that we will learn and that could be addressed. And I think the most obvious thing that I notice is the, what people describe as breathlessness. Yeah. Um, and I can say that even I had that after I had COVID. Uh, and I find that most people have that uh, when they feel they're completely fine. And then they go to engage in physical activity because they're like, they're over the infection, they're feeling healthy and good. And sure enough, they're suddenly puffing like a freight train as if they've, or as if they've just climbed like 14 flights of stairs when they've done something very, very mild. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that seems to linger. So again, diving deeper into the ANS Rewired Recovery Program, as, you said, as I said, you talk about it being multi-layered and multi kind of, you know, multilateral. So could you yes. peel back some of the layers of what's involved in the program? I will do. And sorry, sorry to digress there. So I guess what my answer was there was that the ANS Rewired Program is for post-viral fatigue syndromes. And, um, and, what it is, is we're saying that post-viral fatigue syndrome or ME-CFS is caused by this autonomia, which means that the nervous system, which is designed to respond to stressors in the body, uh, like if you have an injury or whatever, um, it responds and, uh, uh, and, and is there to deal with uh, those issues. It deals with everyday functioning of the body. And because there is a, a maladaptive stress response uh, in this illness what we seek is to retrain the body and we seek to reduce the stressors so that the body is able to normalize and that the body is able to heal from the deep dysfunction that it is in and the ANS Rewire program what it does in order to achieve that it's an education and training program so it's not a treatment uh, and it educates members on how the body is, first of all, triggered um, physically. And then the obvious triggers that most people experience, like doing exercise or things like this. 
But there's also other triggers. Uh, they can be from our gut. They can be, uh, another obvious one is blood sugar regulation. And so we talk about finding uh, strategies to reduce this triggering. And then we start looking at strategies to retrain how the nervous system uh, responds to, to stressors. Um, and we do that through a range of techniques. Um, one, I suppose, is one that I've coined, which is a somatoneurological approach. That is to retrain uh, the brain through the way that our, through the feedback in our physical body. So by how we engage with the body, the posture, the, the, the bracing, the muscle tension, the breath, um, the, the amygdala actually uh, looks towards the body to try and identify uh, whether there's a potential threat. And so this is one way we can educate the brain to normalize its function. Uh, we also use another, uh, other, I don't know if you want to call them neurological, uh, some of them you might call psychological techniques. Um, but, you know, the problem is that we tend to separate all these things, physical, psychological, mental, emotional. We tend to look at these things as being different things, but actually they all overlap because they all have a nervous system. Uh, uh, they all share the ner nervous system. And, and so what we can, you know, that is in our favor because we can do a training on something that we are cognizant about. And that can then translate to something that we're totally unconscious of. So as an example, we see how people are hyper-reactive to normal, healthy blood sugar variations. And uh, I mean, <laughs> what can you do about that? I mean, you can change what you eat, but you can't tell your brain to stop overreacting to such things because you don't even know it's happening, right? And, and you don't have any control of this or your heart beats when you're standing up. You, you have no control of such things. Um, but when we can retrain uh, certain uh, psychological factors, which we know from pain research, uh, how they affect uh, the sensitization process, then these these things translate into other triggers. And, um, and so we don't even have to fix the problems that we experience in our body. We just have to fix enough of them that eventually the brain kind of, you know, normalizes enough that the rest of it kind of peters out. Yeah. Um, and that's why we, you will see people recover with all these different things. So one person will go to a doctor and, get some things treated that's wrong with them and take some medicines and then they recover. And then the next person will go and uh, I don't know, they, they, they might do like some mind body work or they might go and see psychologist. You know, what does a psychologist have to do with this? It's a physical illness, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, same with the mind body work. I mean, it, it can be for people who don't have any psychological problems. That's even more strange. Like it makes sense. We go, oh, okay, this person had a psychological issue and, and upset and and they treated that and then their body healed. But no, no, we're talking about doing what you might call, for lack of a better word, psychological work for somebody who has no psychological problems. And and then this this nervous system 
this function can can resolve because it's, it's just a method of road into the nervous system faster train yeah and if i may just before we sort of go further i'll just give you a little anecdote here that it's a little bit like when somebody has a stroke and you know you know we also sensitive because we often get told we're malingerous it's not real it's in our head and all this kind of crazy talk yeah. um although i think with pots that tends to happen less but you know sometimes we get told they have anxiety and and obviously sometimes that's true because it's kind of anxiety provoking but you know if i said to you um you know have a look at what happens with stroke victims you know a stroke victim is a classic uh example of, of neuroplasticity somebody who's got a part of their brain that's no longer functioning seeking to engage another part of the brain to replace that functioning in order to learn how to walk well guess what you're doing psychological work and people say oh no i'm doing physical therapy well hang on a sec you're standing there and you're deluding yourself that you can move your leg and you're saying move leg but your leg doesn't work and the physiotherapist grabs your leg shoves it a few inches forward <laughs> who is that fooling you didn't do that all right you could say that is psychological work yeah. does that mean that that's all in your head that you can't walk can't walk uh, of course not of course not that's not a psychological thing we can do an mri on the brain and see there's a piece of tissue in your brain that's died in, with a stroke and yet you're doing you know what some people might say is mental or psychological work so this is the problem we we tend to often interpret what something is based on the history of how we've been treated and what we've been told yeah yeah and it's that like dan you know yourself and i love um the the, the holistic approach because again i've worked in healthcare for almost 30 years and i know western medicine takes a very mechanical approach and it's a very um you know pharmaceuticals it's based on kind of just treating symptoms and it's a very mechanical approach so that kind of holistic approach that mind body um approach which you know is again it's it's the most effective but it's just trying to kind of you know get the word across as we spoke earlier on that you can't make people but you know like it, you know just to try and get kind of you know the message across that as you said like you know if if, if you if you kind of deal with uh, one kind of symptom it can have a knock-on effect on, on another symptom and a huge part of this is pacing it's that kind of be the tortoise not the hare and I know you talk about this mm. um, and you know like how do you kind of you know explain to people or you know people that are so um, used to living a fast life like pacing and resting and having patience is in total contrast to normal everyday life which is so fast so how do you kind of you know share that with people about pacing and resting well uh, first of all it's great questions you're asking uh, brian so uh, i applaud you for that uh, look the first thing i say is just one step back there is the mind body side of things is it's a terrible term because this whole talk about mind body uh, kind of talk it, instead of brain training and neuroplasticity is that it, it always makes it sound like some voodoo, some something out there, alternative. 
yeah. you know, and, and I guess what I would suggest is that actually we should be science-based. And the science is actually very established and very clear, for instance, on the pain, you know, people with pain sensitization and fibromyalgia, you know, and what works and what causes it and how psychological um, approaches affect chronic pain, which is real pain, right? Um, I mean, the science is old. It's not even like cutting edge new, all right? And I would suggest that the same research applies to these other, well, people call them other conditions. I, of course, am saying that all these conditions are the same. They're just expressions of the same underlying dysfunction. Yeah. So that's the first thing. So we should be science-based. It should. It's not voodoo what we're doing, right? It, the, the, the science is there, right? Man, we don't always have the papers uh, because it's not research, and it's it's tricky to research because you can't see what's going on inside someone's mind so easily. But there's enough research to really cover this, and the brain training can be done with physical devices. It can be done with psychological. It's it's a combination approach. Now. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing is, and it's skewed. You know, it seems that modern medicine is not skewed towards science. Modern medicine is skewed a lot towards pharmaceutical, possibly surgical intervention. Yeah. Right? But um, I wouldn't say that it's science-based or science-skewed. I mean, I'd be all for that. Right? There's plenty of good science out there. It's just not being applied. Yeah, you know, I spent a whole decade trying to get fibromyalgia patients to engage with, with pain psychologists and, and even the pain psychologists didn't want to know. Yeah. Oh, we can help you cope better. No, no, I, I wasn't sending them to cope better. I was sending them to get well. Right. But yeah. nobody's doing yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but now let's go into the pacing and look here again, we talk about psychology, you know, why does it matter? And it goes almost beyond psychology. It goes almost into spirituality yeah now this used to annoy me brian i used to do these interviews with people who'd recovered and they'd say oh you know it was a spiritual experience and blah blah and i'm like spiritual i'm like what are you talking about like i know i'm a science guy and like you think we're spiritual you've got an illness i could illness i don't know you know what's going on with me for so many years i'm trying to get well and i'm the and now you're talking spiritual? I, I, I would roll my eyes so hard, it almost injured me. Right? <laughs> and, and of course, I was quite ignorant on my behalf. Yeah. And so let me share with you why it is a spiritual journey. You talk about pacing. Okay, so what does this mean? We're talking about choosing how you engage with life, choosing about what activity you would have. And we all are so upset because nobody seems to appreciate the suffering that we experience with post-viral fatigue syndrome, CFS, fibro, POTS. No one gives us the validity that this is a real illness, how bad it is, because they can't see how bad the suffering is. Yeah. You know, I've had many people tell me who've had cancer and who've had this illness that they would do cancer any day of the week instead. Yeah. Right, because at least you know what it is, you know what to, uh, you need to do. There's an endpoint, one way or another, right? Whereas this is just this torture that never seems to end. And at least with cancer, people give you, you know, some 
validation and and don't expect things that are unreasonable right absolutely um i i actually know a guy dan i was talking to him a few months ago and he broke his pelvis over the summer and he has long covid for like nearly three years and he said he would take a broken pelvis every day rather than long you know like you know so absolutely i mean think about what that means right and so and so the issue is that um you know, if we're talking about pacing, but the bigger problem is not that other people don't understand, it's that we don't. Yeah. We don't take the illness serious. And then people will be like, what, what, what are you talking about? You know, like, of course I'm suffering. I'm telling everyone. Yeah. Okay. I, are you, are you really, are you really giving it the full recognition that you are seriously chronically ill? Because, most people try to hang on to their own life. Yeah. They tell me about how they have to do things and this and that and they must and their shoulds. And well, you know, I mean, would they do that if they were told they had cancer and that if they don't rest, they're going to die? Or if they had a broken pelvis? A broken pelvis. Ah, but you know, the, the lawn needs mowing, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to mow itself. Look at it. It's half a foot high. Yeah. Out you go there with your Zimmer frame or whatever. I mean, like, this is madness. No, nobody would do that, right? That's what we're doing. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and um, it'd, be, it'd be like someone coming into work in the middle of chemotherapy with a bucket under their desk, throwing up every 15 minutes. Okay, have you got the report, Mr. Jones? Yeah. You know, it's, it's madness. Right, everyone got that, that. This can't happen. Send that guy home. Get him on a mental health care plan because Absolutely. something wrong with that. Yeah. But we, with this chronic illness, because we don't get any validation, we behave like this. We be, we behave like mad people because we're trying to act like we're not sick and hold on to the semblance of normality. Now this is the problem. Yeah. Right, and this stops us from truly stepping back truly resting yeah yeah and that is what is required uh as one precondition of for recovering you yeah? know yeah. you cannot trigger the nervous system repeatedly uh excessively and cause it to you know explode with all these symptoms and then think that somehow your body is going to be able to heal like it, it's not possible Absolutely, yeah. and to retrain the brain to do so, whilst you are kind of, you know, um, traumatizing it like that, it's also it, it, it doesn't work. It, yeah, it's, well, it's it'd be possible. like it'd be like trying to shovel snow while it's still snowing. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, uh, it's almost it's a little bit worse. It's almost like shoveling snow whilst you're calling this local snow snow plow to dump all the snow in your front yard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can still shovel snow when it's snowing, but you, you can't shovel snow when you keep getting these guys to dump the whole neighborhood snow in your yard. Yeah. And, and, and that's in essence what, what happens. And so the question is, why don't we do it? You know, what does it take? And, and so it becomes a spiritual thing. It does. Mm -hmm. It really does. Because you need to find a way to do the impossible. 
to let go of your job, to let go of your relationships, to let go of your responsibilities. Yeah. Man, I've had some wild conversations with people that have left them stunned at what I've said to them. Mm -hmm. You know, um, because we have rules in our head, Brian, that get distorted. Yeah. I'll tell you a very short one. Speaking to a lady, she went in my program, she was bed bound. She'd been ill for years, couldn't even get out of bed. She only managed to crawl out just to go to the toilet. I speak to her sometime later, and she's 70% recovered. And she's telling me, you know, how excited it is, how good it is. But then after a while, she tells me how she's not progressing. She's stuck at 70%. I talked to her about all the things she needed. That's part of the program that she did to get well. And she tells me how she can't do all of them because it's too difficult. Because, you know, she's got three young kids. And in the morning, she's got to get up and feed them and make their lunches, take them to school, you know, do a couple of chores on the way home, lunch, pick them up for the after school, you know, do the shopping, take them to, you know, ballet and soccer and make dinner. And then it's a reading a story. And then her and her husband are so tired, they just go to sleep. And so where does she find the time to do it? Yeah. And so that's understandable, right? But the point I said to her is, well, when you get in the morning, why don't you do them then? She goes, well, I have to make breakfast. And I go, well, what for? Just eat a few berries for yourself, have this, eat that. Because yeah, but I have to make it for the kids. And I go, no, you don't. And she's like, what? What do you mean? I, I'm a mother. I go feed my children. They're like young children under 10, you know. I go, no, you don't. And she goes, well, of course I have to. And everyone would agree with her that she's right. She has to look after her children. And that I'm talking like a madman. I am a bit of a madman because you know what? I'm mad at this illness. And I'm mad of the the horrific experience that people have to go through and how cruel it is and how we get locked into this ridiculous experience. And I said to her to try and help her understand where I was coming from. And I said, look, these three children you have, the fat children, what, what are their names? Should we the fat children? I go, well, these are the fat children because the skinny children passed away, right? And she looks at me. I go, well, when you were in bed all that time, unable to get out when you were so ill, Obviously, you didn't feed your children then, right? And you have to feed them. So I'm thinking the fat children survived. The skinny children passed away. So now she has a giggle, right? And she's laughing. And I make the point that really, she doesn't have to do these things. She only feels obligated because the rules say to put that onus on my husband, the neighbors, and my mother when I'm well enough to do it. Well, that's unreasonable. They are, say, almost immoral. How can I be so selfish? How can I be so egocentric and, and do that? It, it, it's so uncomfortable for us to show that's beyond self-love. That's, that's self-indulgent, right? Mm -hmm. In the context of a normal life, that's correct. It's inappropriate. It's self-indulgent. In the context of I have an illness, that requires me to prioritize and my activity and stresses in order to recover. And once I have, I'm over this illness, I can get on with my life and fulfill my responsibilities fully. It makes total sense. Yeah. But the problem, Brian, is that this isn't the magic pill. 
And so you may say, well, what if I do all of that? And then at the end, I'm still not well. Well, that's the risk, isn't it? Well, it's, it's the ultimate in self-kindness, self-compassion, which and being gentle with yourself and being, you know, being kind of that self-kindness that a lot of people aren't used to doing. Absolutely. And it doesn't fit in with, you know, we're all on a hamster wheel, the rat race, yes. and life is so busy. And it, it, it doesn't fit in with that uh, hamster wheel, does it? Look, absolutely. And I, I see this, you know, all the time when I see people who, who get sick and like five days after becoming sick, they're like panicking because they can't get back to the gym yet. What's going on? It's been five days. Yeah. Five days. Really? It's and then bad. after two weeks, we're in an absolute flap and panic. Yeah. Right? Two weeks. Oh, what's going on? Maybe, you know, and, you know, people... It used to be normal. Ah, oh, what happened last year? I didn't see you around. Ah, oh, yes, I had tuberculosis, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, well, I didn't see you. Yeah, I was in the country home with a blanket across my lap for three months, you know, watching the leaves. I mean, we live in a different world now. It's like, where's the pill, yeah. right? But when I speak to doctors, you know, they realize how this works. They, they go, well, yeah, because the pills don't work either, right? Even when there is a pill that works 100%, I asked the doctor uh, who recovered in my program, I said to her, um, hey, if you have a pill that cures, cures a heart condition, right? 100% of the time, and you prescribe it to your patient, what percentage of those patients will be cured one year later? And she didn't even hesitate a millisecond. She goes, 70%. <laughs> Now, obviously, that's not accurate. That's one of those statistics that's made up in the moment, you know. It's not scientifically valid, but it's a wonderful anecdote because she made the point that even with 100% certainty, it only works 70% of the time. Yeah. And the reason is when those pills are in the cupboard, they don't do anything. In order for that 100% accurate, wonderful pill to work, you'd have to take it one out each day, stick it in the mouth, glass of water, and swallow it. Yes. And, you know, the ability to do that, even with a 100% cure, you'd be, I don't know if it's 30% that don't do it, but there's a significant amount of people who don't do it, right? We see this all the time. And, and when, it, when, when the, the lower the certainty of, of, of the approach or outcome, the lower the engagement, the lower the compliance to the treatment protocol. And that's why ANS Rewire is so deeply education-based because I'm asking people to do make crazy sacrifices. I'm asking them to do things that are hard. I'm asking them to make choices that feel uncomfortable. And in order for us to show ourselves the love, the compassion, and to persist with it, we've got to have, excuse the language, but we've got to have a bloody good reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to be like you got to have conviction. It it's got to make sense to you. Yeah, yeah. And whilst we don't have a certainty that we will get that outcome, because we don't, because it's complicated these illnesses, right? Because when you've got a central central nervous system dysfunction, everything matters. Even things that never mattered all your life suddenly become an issue. Yeah, 
like things that have people who had a trauma early in their life. Yeah, you know, just not great. They dealt with it somewhat. Was never really an issue. Whatever. Get on with your life, right? Now they've got this illness. Suddenly, that that trauma is a problem. Yeah. Or people who have, uh, you know, metabolic syndrome. Yes. Well, you know, whatever. Yeah. Maybe your triglycerides are slightly high. Maybe you know your blood sugar. Your what was it? The H H one B C one. I can't remember. That blood test marker is a little bit high. But yeah, whatever. You're healthy. You don't have a problem. You don't have diabetes or anything. It's whatever. Get on with your life, right? But now they got this illness. Yeah, it's a big problem. Yeah. So that's 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 suddenly there's lots of things. It's like it, it, this illness, post-viral fatigue syndrome, CFS, fibroids. It kind of forces you to clean out the cupboard. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's that. You know, that radical acceptance, that self-compassion, self-care, self-kindness, and those bring, you know, like the, the, the most holistic kind of positive results. Absolutely. Well, Dan, thank you so much for sharing that with me. And can you tell me now how you mind you? Well, isn't it interesting? You know, they always say the plumber has the worst plumbing, don't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What I will say is this, um, recognition of our behaviors is the f biggest step. If you, if you can see it, you don't have to be it, right? And I think one of the most important things that I teach and reluctantly have even managed to do myself <laughs> is to strive for balance. There, it's amazing what we can endure. Um, and I have had my own personal challenges in the last uh, three, four years uh, and, and uh, health challenges that are not CFS, fibroids related and other challenges uh, that are a crazy, crazy experience right and and how have i managed to get through that somehow i would say it's been balance having and ensuring that you find some other ways of experiencing joy even when there is seemingly no way to do that there is a it gives us a fuel you, you have to be able to retreat from the suffering. The suffering is so immense. Most people don't know how much they suffer when they're ill with these illnesses. I, I see one of the things I see regularly when people recover is they suddenly have a breakdown, Brian, because they go, oh, my goodness, what did I go through? Yeah. That was madness. And But when you can go you're, when you're lying on the couch or when you're going to sleep and you can go to your happy place, your passion, whatever it is, no matter how banal it is, whatever it is that floats your boat, that you can engage to some extent to bring some balance into your life, to change your focus. Uh, this is, this is very, very powerful. Yeah. So I mind myself by ensuring that I, that I act selfish. 
by ensuring that I indulge myself in certain activities, even when I feel I have more important things to do, urgent things to do, or other people's things are more important. Um, it, it goes against my grain to behave like that. However, it, during these last three years, where I've had this, this, some of this, this, this crazy adversity, I've connected with it in the sense that I recognize it's not just something that is important to mind myself and my health, but it is being almost a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest that that is probably my, my strongest way of, of looking after myself. Okay. Wow. I love that. Um, I love that. Well, thanks for sharing that with me, Dan. And where can people find you? Well, um, they can Google CFS for chronic fatigue syndrome uh, unraveled. The, can, they can find the program at ansrewire.com. That's A for autonomic nervous system. And um, if, they are th if they have one of these groups of illnesses that uh, ANS Rewire is dedicated to, including post-viral fatigue syndrome, my message is don't rush into the program, check out the free four intro lessons and ponder on it. You know, is this right for me? Am I really thinking this is it? And if you're not sure, consider reading the book first, see if it's unraveled. Um, because when you do go for it, whatever you do, whether it's my program or it's another road, whatever you do do to move yourself forward with your health, make sure that you really commit to it and do it properly um, because unfortunately many things actually take deep persistent action before we see results yeah. and if we're not deeply enough committed we can fall short of persisting long enough to to get the outcomes absolutely so that's, that's my message yeah absolutely well dan thank you so much i, I would encourage anyone to to check out um your podcast and the website and you've got a YouTube channel and jam packed full of information and resources. And Dan, thank you so much for being so kind and so generous and so honest with me today and ensuring your journey and how you mind others, how you mind you and best of luck with everything that you do in the future. Thank you very much, Brian. And thank you very much for sharing the message of hope and positivity. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. so much for listening to mind you and i hope you've learned about the benefits of holistic self-care please like subscribe and follow mind you podcast wherever you listen to it and please share it so we can keep the ripple effect of holistic self-care going out to the world you can find me and mind you at brian barnes wellbeing